Today's Bible reading is from the Good News according to Matthew chapter 18, beginning at verse 21. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, not seven times, but I tell you, 77 times. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he began the reckoning, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. And as he could not pay, the Lord ordered him to be sold together with his wife and children and all his possessions and payment to be made. So the slave fell on his knees before him saying, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the Lord of that slave released him and forgave him the debt. But that same slave, as he, oops, as he went out, came upon one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him by the throat, he said, pay what you owe. Then his fellow slave fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. But he refused. Then he went and threw him into prison until he would pay the debt. When his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their Lord all that had taken place. Then his Lord summoned him and said to him, you wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his Lord handed him over to be tortured until he would pay his entire debt. So my heavenly father, will also do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Thanks be to God. Well, that was one of those ones where I paused a few seconds before I said, thanks be to God. Uh, let us pray. Lord, our world is so bound up in vengeance and in hatred, yet we have heard that you have entered in to our condition. You have put a spoke in the wheel of vengeance and hatred with your grace. Forgive us, we pray, our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Bring us your life, your mercy, and your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Then begins today's passage. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked him, Lord, if a member, another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? And Jesus replied, not seven times, 
but I tell you, 77 times. We heard the beginning of today's passage uh, in the learning together time. And today's passage begins with Jesus teaching on forgiveness. Peter, his right-hand disciple, Superman, if you see him on the screen, he's not so much a Superman though, usually. Peter knows that forgiveness is important, but it's got to have a limit. Okay, I get forgiving once, twice, three, maybe up to seven times, he says, but when does the gravy train run out of grace? There's got to be a limit to this thing. Jesus here says 77 times. But the point isn't the exact number. I mean, you're not just waiting until the 77th time to stop forgiving your kids, for example. But it's a figure of speech. The point is, as one scholar puts it, that the kind of forgiveness called for is beyond all calculation. The kind of forgiveness called for by Jesus is beyond all calculation. All those little white balls, there's infinite little white balls out there. The point is to keep forgiving and to quit counting, regardless of the number of offenses against us. Forgiveness is so good, Jesus says, that you just got to keep doing it over and over again. So just forgive like it's going out of style and it's not coming back. Forgiveness is good. There's no doubt about that. That's what Jesus says. Forgiveness is good. We must forgive because it is good and right to do so. And yet, right after this teaching, Jesus also warns that there are consequences to unforgiveness. He tells a parable to show that an inability to forgive has some pretty dire consequences to it. So there's a king, Jesus says. There's a king who wanted to collect everything owed to him. And one of his servants was given the contract for collecting 10,000 talents in taxes, which is an insane amount. A single talent being 15 years wage for a laborer. King Herod himself, the king of the Jews at the time, only raked in about 900 talents. And this guy was supposed to go for 10,000. So it's an insane amount of money, a whole empire's worth of GDP. There's no way he could possibly pay. We don't know why it is, whether incompetence, fraud, bad economy, but this guy just can't pay up. He can't pay up. So the king locks him away and threatens to sell him and his family as slaves and to sell his possessions too. So the guy does what any of us would do. He, you know, begs for mercy. Please. He asks to be released and he promises to pay up once he's out. The surprising thing, though, is that the king just lets him go. No need to repay, just freedom, just forgiveness. If you know anything about ancient kings, you know that they don't just don't do stuff like that. It's kind and charitable to the max. But this is a real bizarre, unexpected thing to do. To be forgiven by the king. No sooner is this guy Scott free, though, that the shock of this gracious act wears off. Next thing we know, he's knocking on some guy's door and he's oh, grabbing him by the throat and insisting that the guy pays his debt. 
And this guy's debt though is only 100 denarii, which is only like four months wages for a single worker. The guy begs for mercy, you know, he's through his throat. No, I'll pay. And he promises to pay back the debt, just as the servant did with the king. But instead of forgiving or accepting an installment plan, he has that guy tossed in jail. It's nothing compared to the debt the king forgave him, but nope, no forgiveness here. You're in the slammer until you can pay it off. The irony of this guy's lack of mercy, of course, isn't lost on any of us. And it isn't lost on his fellow servants either. His fellow servants see what this guy has done, and they report him straight to the king. And so the king has him hauled in, and he just lays into him. He's like, you wicked slave! I forgave you all that debt because you begged me to, and then the first chance you had to do the same, you blew it. And so the king hands him over, it says, to be tortured until his debt's finally paid. You wouldn't forgive as you were forgiven, he says. And so here are the consequences. And you know, just in case we listeners didn't quite get the point, if it wasn't brutal enough for us, Jesus states the obvious. As the king did in the parable, he says, so my heavenly father will also do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or sister from your heart. According to Jesus, forgiveness is good, so good it's worth doing at least 77 times. But he also says that an unwillingness to forgive will land us where the unforgiving servant ends up in the parable. And that place ain't pretty. This isn't exactly one of Jesus' most seeker-friendly teachings, you could say. Uh, It's not nice. Um, I always thought Jesus was kind of like a hippie, getting his friends together and, you know, hanging out, singing songs, just having fun. But this one's pretty, pretty brutal. But it's also more than simply a threat aimed at getting us to be more forgiving. We, we all know that threats don't work because if they did, we would all be just good and perfect by now. But it gets at the fundamental nature and necessity of forgiveness according to Christian teaching. Let me, let me explain. In this parable, first we have the starting point in all Christian teaching. The parable begins with the infinite mercy and forgiveness of God. Jesus teaches his disciples in response to Peter's question, an infinite forgiveness. And then in the parable, he tells, we learn that this servant with this impossible, unpayable debt is just let off the hook. And it's for absolutely no reason other than the gracious decision on behalf of the king. The servant does nothing to deserve it. 
and he really does nothing to earn it. He doesn't have to work it off. Doesn't even have to promise, oh, like, you know, when my kids promise, oh, yeah, no, I'll never, you know, I'll never hurt my brother again. And I just said, you don't have to lie to me. Just say sorry. He doesn't even have to promise he won't get into debt again. All he does is receive the forgiveness. That's all he's got to do. And according to this parable and Christian teaching, this is how God is when it comes to us. Now, this may or may not surprise you, but we are all sinners. We're all sinners. There's no human being on this planet who has ever lived a blameless life free of brokenness, except for one. That's another sermon. This world has piled up a debt on us and we have piled up our own debts that none of us began and none of us can ever atone for or eradicate through sheer will. Many of us have come to know this through the hard knock school of experience, but like the Canadian folk singer, Sarah Harmer says, and I'm dating myself, I realized it was 2000. Ugh. Why do they call it the past when nothing's past? Why do they call it the past when nothing's past? The past, whether our individual transgressions or the hurts and pains of history are not yet past. They still live within us and imprison us and they're ultimately beyond our simple repairing. But the central good news of Christianity is that, in fact, history has been healed, even though we may not see it quite yet. And the past has indeed passed, even if it doesn't seem like it's quite past yet. In the cross of Christ, God has thrown his own body into the brutal machinery of human history. All that accumulated debt we could never crawl out from under has been shaken free for good. As was the case with the servant, there's nothing we had to do or could do to earn it. Don't have to work it off. Don't have to promise never to go into debt again because it's already been paid. Written off by the king of creation. Out of nothing but her own infinite love and mercy for us, her creatures. The good news always begins with God's infinite forgiveness like this parable, meaning that in fact, you are forgiven. You are forgiven. Any sin you've committed, anything you've done or failed to do, no matter how many times, whether seven or 77 or even more, any way you've fallen short, any way you haven't lived up, you are forgiven. Full stop. The debt is paid, the accounts at zero balanced. No conditions or fine print, no user fees. You are forgiven. That's what the gospel always is, always begins with.
Like this parable, the good news always begins with the infinite, unconditional mercy and forgiveness of God. You may have noticed, though, that this parable doesn't quite end there. There's a bit of an irony here in the fact that Jesus teaches his disciples to forgive 77 times and that the king in the parable doesn't even make it past once. The second time he warms up the torture chamber, in fact. Kind of a do-as-I-say-not-as-I-do kind of thing. It seems like a bit of a contradiction, but it's absolutely consistent with how forgiveness works. And the late great Anglican theologian Robert Capon frames it in terms of death and resurrection. He's got a wonderful book on the parables. I, I recommend it to any and everybody. And uh, you know, if you want to find out what book that is, I'll put it. I'll make sure that that's on the website. I just, I it's just, it blows my mind. I had to read it out to Cheyenne as she was trying to go to sleep, and she was just kind of like, "I get it," you know. Um, this is a good book. But here's what Capon says: None of our debts. None of our sins, none of our trespasses, none of our errors will ever be an obstacle to the grace that raises the dead. But if we refuse to die, die to our hatreds, our grudges, our lack of forgiveness, if we refuse to die, and in particular if we insist on binding others' debts upon them, in the name of our own right to life, we will, by not letting grace have its way through us, cut ourselves off from the joy of ever knowing grace in us. By not letting grace have its way through us, we cut ourselves off from the joy of ever having known grace in us. Forgiveness is infinite. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. It's absolutely true. No conditions, no small print. It's where it always begins again and again and again. It's something that we return to day by day by day, seven times 70 times 70 times 70. But in this parable, Jesus teaches us that in order for forgiveness to be received, it somehow has to be given away. It's like a stream that goes stagnant unless it flows outwards. It's like getting a new bike on Christmas morning and just letting it sit there and gather dust. Where the servant drops the ball isn't in committing another offense, it's a fact that he doesn't pass the same gift he's been given on because grace comes to us on its way to somebody else. We'll never actually know the saving joy of forgiveness unless we let it truly sink in. We can never be free of our sins until we're able to forgive as Christ forgives. Forgiveness ends only when and where we let it end, not God.
So I realize that this is the second sermon on forgiveness in two weeks. In my defense, I didn't choose the texts that came up in the schedule. But I also don't think the theme is accidental either. Not only because it's the central message of Christianity, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us, but because it's the only way out of the pain and hurt in the lives we live and the only chance our hurt and hurting world has in mending, which is in forgiveness. So remember, you are forgiven. May you be given the grace to go and do likewise. Amen.